So I'm here with Mark Gartner, and we are going to be talking about his latest article called Creative Destruction, How Private Equity BD May Change Forever. Bold title, sir. Bold title. Your read time is three to four minutes, but hopefully this vlog might be a little bit longer. How did, how did you come up with the idea for this? Kind of walk me through just your thought process with it. Yeah, I think the title was more about uh, kind of like a clickbait strategy. Yeah, I wanted people to engage with it. <laughs> Mission uh, accomplished. Nothing like creating something ominous to get people to engage with your content. No, I, I think some of the topics in there have been kind of percolating probably for the best two years, to be honest. And a lot of those trends continued and just kind of coalesced into something that I didn't really have the option but to write. You know, it was just, it was time to kind of get my thoughts out there. And I think the biggest frustration was as I was looking across the industry, I saw everybody doing basically the same thing. And it's like, this cannot persist <laughs> forever. And so I've always, you know, tried to do my best to kind of look around the corner and see what's, you know, coming next. And a lot of what's in there is really sharing kind of some of the things that have worked, you know, based on experimentation and, and wanted to not only, you know, call out potential problems as it relates to business development, but also propose solutions. What do you think about, I guess we can kind of go sequentially through it. Uh, first, the conference circuit. What is, I mean, in the past, you know, six months um, during quarantine, do you feel that the conference organizations have successfully pivoted? Um, or do you think that that format just generally is not going to work anymore? Let's start with conferences. Yeah, um, and I really don't mean to hate on conferences too much. I mean, earlier in my career, when you got to get to know people uh, in person, it's essential. And so I yep. spent a lot of time at conferences early on, but then as I kept going to the conferences, I saw the same people and kind of realized I was going to see the deal flow uh, anyway in most cases. So I just kind of questioned the utility of them a little bit. Um, on the topic of how they pivoted, yeah, I mean, a lot of these conferences have gone virtual. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, going virtual is a great substitute for kind of in-person interaction, but I think the net result is, is kind of the same. I mean, you're going to stay connected to people. It's good to catch up but I just wonder if that's really moving the needle. And I, and I don't, again, I don't mean to hate on conferences too much, but I think a lot of people share that um, hypothesis. Um, but I think there's this temptation to, you know, participate. Maybe it's the fear of missing out uh, or it's the desire to kind of be busy or whatever it might be. Um, I just couldn't help but wonder, you know, is there something else I could be doing with my time that might, you know, produce deals other people aren't also seeing? Yeah. I, I wonder if there's been this, you know, if this shift is temporary and or, permanent or how this is going to evolve because i think that you know a conference brings people together and you meet people who you don't know or you see people you haven't seen in a while but it kind of makes me think of something more conceptual which is the need for community and the need for a tribe and to be around that tribe um and so i wonder if the conferences are gonna shift a little bit more towards providing content that is, yes, informative, but it's almost like um, hyper-personal as opposed to informal, which I felt, you know, I've been doing the circuit as well for 10 years, and it feels a little bit impersonal um, in the different providers that we, uh, different conferences that we've been to. Um, I, I wonder what like the new era of conferences is going to be and kind of what that bridge is going to be between where we're at now and when we get back to 
you know, like an inner growth with thousand plus people. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I mean, listen, when people can feel comfortable traveling again, I think there's just going to be a rush of activity where people just mm. like want to get back to the conference there because they miss it on mm. some level. But, but ultimately after that enthusiasm wanes, you might be back in the same place. Um, I do agree that there's a need for community. Um, and, and that is one way to do it. But as I think about like how content is created and disseminated right now and how, you know, maybe through the blogs, it kind of takes the place of storytelling and, and, and sharing kind of topical information. Maybe that's another way to kind of create a tribe, you know, by sharing your information and information exchange, you know, via information that's differentiated in some capacity. So I don't know, I'm kind of partial to the blogging uh, and the vlogging and, and just some of this stuff that again, feels a little more custom. Um, and a little more personal in some ways. Well, and then let's riff on that because I, I think that goes to like this. So this kind of makes me think about an ongoing thesis that I've had for the past two years now, which is that we're in the era of semi-private equity and BD 3.0. And part of the era of semi-private equity is that there's this demand from the ecosystem, sellers, bankers, LPs, to have more transparency, accountability, and just this thirst for humanization and to really see who the full person is, as opposed to the later vintage or you know earlier vintages when you can have this a basic website, almost like the hedge fund branding, like login. <laughs> but that, that doesn't, that mindset doesn't work for where we are currently at. Um, so I'm wondering like what, like what do you think on that thesis? And what have you seen the benefits have been for producing like the written content you have? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think the hedge fund an analogy is a good one. There's almost like this badge of honor of being elusive. It's kind of like, I'm going to make it actually hard to get in touch with me because if you need to get in touch with me, you should be able to do that anyway. And I think that philosophy has changed uh, really out of necessity uh, over time. I mean, private equity funds for a long time weren't putting email addresses, phone numbers, et cetera, on their website. And uh, they really kind of had to, to sort of humanize themselves. And it's an interesting paradox, to be honest, because given how many private equity funds there are in the market. It's very easy to look at equity capital as being commoditized. And of course you can make the argument that it is, but the reality is once you take money from somebody who's acquiring a majority position in your business, um, <laughs> who those people are matters uh, uh, to an extreme degree. And so, yes, you can take the position that that capital is abundant, that it's everywhere, but you know, who you partner with is everything. And so the way that private equity funds position themselves online uh, is critical. Uh, and they can do that with content, with videos, with bios, with charming quotes. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways to kind of try to humanize people online, but you got to have uh, some angle on that uh, to present kind of the, the ethos of who you are uh, as a fund. Yeah, I, I think that makes me think about what we have been working through in the content we're developing with clients in terms of like, when you're talking about culture, Everyone, everyone's going to say respectful. Everyone's going to say team bar. Like that's, that's bullshit. Like, give me something deep. Give me some examples. And also give me the flip side when you say, oh, we have great relationships with our operating partners. We have great relationships with our management teams. Okay. You want to give me a, a real testament to that? Tell me about the CEOs or the people that you have worked with 
who you no longer work with, but you still have a strong reputation with. And they're willing to say, hey, it didn't work out, but you know what? I respect the hell out of that firm. I think it's interesting to kind of show the full self and the full firm. Um, Because now I think the expectations, and I think this is a key takeaway, is that the expectations in our current environment, six months into quarantine, where people have been forced to communicate in a different way, is that if you are not saying who you are and what you do in a more transparent, more authentic, more consistent way, then people are now asking questions like, why? Because now I'm seeing all these other people communicate this way. Like, why are you not taking this path? Yeah, I think um, you make a very good point. I mean, the question is, how do people behave when things aren't going well? Hmm. You know, it's like when things are going well and you're in the courtship phase, you know, there's a lot of marketing spin around what the, the funds do and have done historically. But you're right. I mean, a key diligence point should be talking about a kind of a deal that went sideways and how people behaved, you know, during that process. And it takes a little bit of digging, you know, to get to the right people to kind of have those conversations. But you're right. How they describe those experiences uh, really reveals a lot um, about people. And I think that, you know, those are, those are questions that don't get asked a lot, but probably should on some level. What do you think people are not really thinking about in terms of origination and leveraging technology, not from a marketing perspective, but more from like data and analytics? It's a good question. I mean, the one that I think about a lot is how do you kind of harness the power of social media to kind of mine data, to reveal attributes about a business that might suggest it's investable or not. I think the VC community has embraced this. Uh, and is embracing this and is probably using it effectively to source opportunities. I haven't heard about it being used as much uh, at the private equity level, but I do think there could be something there. Um, you know, private companies have the luxury of being private. They don't have to reveal anything they don't want to, right? But I do think we're in an era where people are sharing more online than they used to uh, in the spirit of marketing themselves, being part of the social conversation, however you want to define it. And that's all information that can be used. So I don't know, I think ultimately maybe private equity funds will start getting smarter about that to some degree mm-hmm. and may make that part of the toolkit for proprietary deal sourcing. But then there's still the execution of, okay, you've got a company that might be interesting. How do I approach and engage with them to cut through the clutter of everybody else that's reaching out to them? Because there's other funds that are, you know, have happened across the same business and are cold calling them or cold emailing or, you know, sending packages in the mail, whatever it might be. And so you got to find a way to really humanize yourself and differentiate yourself from the pack. Um, even if you have a target that you think could be a viable one. That's, that is, that is such a good way to think about it. It's like, how do you cut through the noise? Because you're not the only, you're not the only one at the party. Um, and that kind of makes me back to the earlier point is I think VC as an industry, one of the really interesting things I've seen that the venture capital community does is that they view themselves as being a resource with content to the market on your 90 days. Are you thinking about a sale? Here are the things that you need to think through the top 10 things that you need to think through. Yeah. And VC to your point is way ahead of private equity in that regard. I mean, I remember publishing, you know, our first blog, I was scared to do it. It seemed like, you know, what, what kind of a risk am I taking here putting my thoughts, you know, on the internet and you quickly realize that, you know, there, there really isn't much risk. 
Uh, and I think I mentioned this in a prior conversation you and I had, Jordan, I think we're in the era of sharing information, not hoarding it. And so there's a real opportunity for private equity funds to be um, kind of a knowledge resource to business owners. And, and that's, you know, if you go to our blog page, you'll see several blogs that are clearly written for the business owner. Um, you know, what questions you ask somebody you want to partner with? How are private um, companies valued? What's the difference between VC and PE? Those are all very intentionally written for the business owner. Uh, and the hope is that they read it and it seems like objective advice. Uh, and maybe to a little degree, you could you could build trust if they are kind of nodding their heads and agreeing or or gaining something from what you wrote. And maybe they reach out to introduce themselves, whereas previously they would be you know reluctant to do that. I think in addition to the sourcing of it, it's also kind of sets the tone for the relationship of how you're going to work with management and with entrepreneurs. Like, yeah, I mean, from day one when I got exposed to the firm, they're trying to help me out even they didn't know it, but they're providing materials to make my life easier. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, one of my big, hairy, audacious goals is like, what if you could be like the private equity transaction resource uh, of record for, for business owners? Like you're almost like the Investopedia uh, for business owners when they're thinking about a transaction, you know, whether it's uh, SEO or however they find you, but you're, you're the destination. Mm. I mean, maybe it's a little idealistic to think that that could actually happen no uh, i mean it, it comes back to it comes back to the fundamental view of we are now in the business of being service providers even though by the way we provide capital in different forms by the way we provide investment banking advice or legal advice we are all now in the business of um service and providing resources and value to the market that's beside as in addition to capital or advice yeah, I agree. Totally. And I also think that, you know, as it relates to business development, whereas business development in, in the past may have been more of a sales oriented uh, endeavor, I do think we're going to be ushering in an era where it takes on more of a marketing feel. And so we could be living in BD 3.0 where sales becomes marketing. Uh, and so I don't know what that means then for the staffing of business development roles and private equity funds, but my guess is it changes uh, or people have to learn some new skills. What do you think of the future is of um, what do you think the future is of the BD function and the structure of BD teams in for the next 12 months or maybe let's let's say the next 24 months um, we'll say it's going to be a weak economy with or without COVID being solved you know uh, solved. Um, and then maybe also considering how technology is coming into this. What do you think the future is of the BD role and the structure of BD teams? It's a very good question. Um, you know, one thing I'll note is that while business development has changed, you know, materially over time, the pace of that change has been relatively slow. I mean, I got into business development in 2007, so I've been doing this for a while, and a lot of these things have been changing steadily, and you could argue that they've been accelerating more uh, in recent history, but you know, it does take a while to evolve. Um, but I think out of necessity, um, per my prior comment, I think you start to see a little bit more of a marketing feel within business development teams. I mean, if content marketing works or will ultimately work, uh, with private equity funds and SEO ends up becoming of more importance. You can make the case that um, dedicating more resources to content writing would make a lot of sense. Um, I do have a hypothesis that the best originators will have websites that 
uh, we'll say um, tactfully kind of feel like lead generation a little bit where it's like intended to kind of capture the lead and advance it through a funnel. Um, More like B2C system. type of feel to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, to the prior comment, like a lot of funds make it kind of almost hard to get a hold of them. If you go to our website, you know, we put this button in the top right corner of the homepage that says get in touch. And then people get to very, you know, quickly fill out a, a form, a contact form. I really debated with whether even to put that button on the page. You know, it's like, am I, um, I don't know, is this a little too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, off brand for private equity. Oh, they're perfect. Off brand tacky for private equity. But I was yeah. like, come on. It's like, let's just make it easy for them to get in touch with us. So we put the button up there and, and lo and behold, we start getting people submitting forms. Um, now the quality of those uh, forms or the quality of those inquiries are not always <laughs> as high as we like, but you know, deal sourcing is a low probability game. And so I do want to make it easy for people to get in touch with us. So anyway, your comment about staffing, I don't know. I, I think maybe the size of the teams is probably the same. I just think the comp composition and perhaps the backgrounds of some of the team members might start to change a little bit. It's interesting. I think that, you know, number one, I've never been in a BD role at a sponsor. So I'll caveat that with this or I'll caveat this with that. Um, I, I do think that the, I think you can go in a couple directions, you know, and it depends on the size and the, on the, on the investment mandate, but you know, do you, frankly, do you cut junior staff and then you have a mid to senior person who has a good reputation and deals come to them and because by virtue of their personal brand and the firm brand, um, they're going to be more efficient at sourcing deals. Um, do you cut mid-level staff and then you have a couple of juniors who are able to help support that senior person um, or do you use outsourced origination for the next 12 to, 12 to 24 months and have that as an augment, either temporary or part of a permanent solution to the overall BD engine? And it's almost like the search fund model, like basically the search fund investors just go off and hire, you know, these searchers to go off and find deals for. Like they're still doing the private equity model, but they're just doing it a different way. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat with business development. I mean, even at this stage of the game, you look across a bunch of private equity funds and, and you know, there's nuances to how those teams are staffed in the backgrounds. So I don't think there's a one size fits all kind of approach necessarily, but I do think the teams need to be one, very data driven and committed to that. Two, they need to be very nimble and entrepreneurial with a spirit of experimentation and testing what works, what doesn't work. Mm. And they have to be excellent at the things that have worked historically. So by no means do I, am I suggesting that you abandon kind of intermediary driven sourcing at all? No, you need to be extremely good at it, you know, so that you're seeing the deals that are relevant uh, for your firm. But at the same time, you need to be testing uh, very entrepreneurially, almost like a laboratory kind of mm. within the business development. Oh, that's so good. It's you, you hit the nail on the head like that mentality i think is another key takeaway from the vc industry is that it is part of their dna to experiment and in the private equity industry and more just mature businesses it's like the exact opposite it's how do we get better with the processes we do have as opposed to find ways to break things and experiment and test in reasonable ways like you know how facebook they said you know, move fast and break things, but then they evolve their mantra to be move fast, break things, but keep the infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I think that's one of the key takeaways. Well, man, this is awesome. I think we should uh, do a round two of this. Um, glad we just jumped on quickly, but let's uh, let's do it again. We can even turn to a little event and have a fun little fireside chat. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan.